everybody. Welcome. Hey, it took a second there for that to kick in, but I'm Aristotle Full Throttle, and we're going to be uh, going full throttle here. I'm very excited because we have a very special guest, my friend Paul Michael, actor, comedian, Paul Michael, Michael Paul. I keep calling you Paul Michael for some reason. It's been the bane of my existence. <laughs> it sounds more biblical. Michael yeah, Paul. I know. I know. You should cross yourself. Yeah, I, yeah. I uh, when I got my COVID test, they're like, uh, last name first, and I go, Paul. And they go, last name first. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I know. I know my name. Exactly. So yeah. welcome, Michael Thanks. Paul, uh, actor, comedian, extraordinaire. And uh, you also have may- very many talents. Uh, actor, comedian, I think, is a, is a broad stroke. <laughs> yeah, that's been the bane of my existence. Uh, I, uh, you know, a lot of people, they're like, oh, I know your face, but I don't know how. And that's, you know, I... I you know, I really have tried a lot of different things in entertainment, um, not because I wasn't necessarily good at any one thing. I just w- really wanted to try everything. So, you know, uh, ever since I was I was a kid, I always went from performance to production and back and forth and in so many different genres. So, uh, you know, and, and which is not always smart, right, because a lot of people before they become a big success, they've been doing what they're doing for, you know, 20 yes. years, right? Right. And I, I kept starting over again. And then, you know, when you're in your 30s or 40s, everyone's like, oh, that's great. What what, what do you do? Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but it, Tell it me about serve, it. Yeah, I, I regretted yeah. it, but it does serve me now. I'm doing a lot of, um, you know, like directing and writing and helping other people with their process and at-risk projects. So it really is a great tool to know all – so many areas of the business to help unlock people in different ways. Yeah, and I want to get into a lot of that too. Actually, starting with where where did you grow up, and what was like the first thing that made you like decide that entertainment was was the way? Yeah, I think uh, you know, like most people, it, it starts at home. Uh, yeah. One of the one of the constants in my life was always uh, puppetry. So yeah. even when I was doing, you know, like new, like teen news reporting or radio guy or Las Vegas act, it, there was always the puppet thing for some reason. Um, I was obsessed with, you know, like most kids my age, Sesame Street and the Muppets and, you know, yeah. things like that. And uh, in fact, I was so Jewish that uh, I was worrying at age five. I already I was already worrying at age five <laughs> that I would not. There would not be enough time. By the time I could grow up and drive and go to New York City and audition for the Muppets, the show would be off the air. Right. So uh, that, that's how early I, I, I wanted it. Wow. Um, and I was annoyed. Like, I'd get a Kermit doll, and I'm like, this doesn't look like the one on TV. Where are the rods? Where are his legs? Like, I was mad. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> so did you grow up outside of New York City? or? I, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, kind of in, like, cow country. And okay. uh, we were in the sticks, and nobody knew, and it really made me angry. Um, yeah. I grew up in an area where everyone was very farm grown, you know, really tall and big and very sports oriented and, you know, hello. So, uh, (laughs) you know, but I was lucky because um, Philadelphia was the fourth largest television market at the time. So all of the network test shows, talk shows in particular, game shows would come through Philly. So when I I started doing internships at these stations and you know, it it really saved me. I was doing it all throughout high school, and and I hated school. I was a bad student because I was so bored. So it really it really kind of saved me. Um, yeah. Being so close to a town that had all that at my fingertips. 
Right. Well, that's amazing. That's actually really cool. Jen the Fierce just popped into the chat. Hey, yo, Jen the Fierce. We've got our guest, Michael Paul. Today is an actor, comedian, puppeteer, uh, extraordinaire, entertainer, and you have a book out too. You 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 do it all. I, I, well, uh, yeah. I, you know, I think. Well, what? You know, it's funny. I so the scope of my career. Again, I'm like they were calling me like yeah. the most you know famous guy you've never heard of or something like right. that. You know, yeah. because uh, again, you know, my 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 career has been a series of very successful one-offs like they never right. talked off into everything else so you know a couple of years i was uh you know i, I had a, a very long stand-up and uh variety act i was a ventriloquist uh i headlined las vegas and i toured with you know james brown and people like that and a couple of years ago i did i did america's got talent which i hated and didn't want to do but i did it for, <laughs> you know i thought it was trashy but i did it it was fine right those are always fun for for people who are like magicians and ventriloquists. And, and, it, it, it's a nightmare, and um, <laughs> I don't really believe that creativity should be a competition. Yeah, uh, but I but we can talk about it later. But and and also I think people know that a lot of those shows are it's part talent show, part reality show, part it's, yeah produced. You know, and I I knew that that would be the case. So I, yeah, I made the most of it, but. You know, and then in between that, um, I'd done all these other things. Uh, and I came to L.A. because I was asked to kind of, you know, write and direct for a few productions and individual artists. And when I was I went through a time about maybe four or five years ago, and I kind of went through my mid midlife crisis. Where am I going? What am I doing? You know, kind of right. that. I don't think it's just an artist thing. I think it was like my time in life kind of thing. OK. And yeah. Universal. Yeah. I right. couldn't find my thing. I tried everything. Yeah. I, different religions i tried uh you know at nothing worked <laughs> and when i got ready to quit i got called by a publishing company postal publishing who did like the real housewives books and leslie jordan and people like that and they right. said you know we heard you have like five different careers alongside all these famous people and no one knows who you are and we'd like you to write a book about it i'm like no one is going to care about that no one's going to care about me i no one knows me it is not going to sell books i do not want to be responsible for that uh, but they said that was kind of the point. So, yeah, I wrote this whole book. And, it, you know, it's it's not just, uh, it, you know, it's like 50 celebrity stories. Like uh, right. when James Brown took me to the movies, when I stuck past security to meet the Queen of England, when Ben Affleck tried to beat me up. You know, millions. Hang on a second. Yeah. <laughs> James yeah, you know, Brown took you yeah. to the movies. Yeah. <laughs> That's in that book. Can you give us a little snippet of how James, how you end up going to the movies? And what and what movie did you see? This is a movie centric. Well, I don't know if I can say. Well, I, so here's what happened. So I'm doing the <laughs> casino circuit. I was at, I would think I was performing at like Harris in Las Vegas, and I was there for a couple of weeks in one of their big production shows with the showgirls and singers and dancers, and you're like the comedy guest act. And the night we were dark, James Brown was there. Uh, performing. So we all went wow. to see him. We were brought back. They're like, do you want to meet the Godfather? I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to meet the Godfather. So they bring us backstage. We're waiting in the dressing room. And his manager says, hey, uh, you're the uh, ventriloquist. And I said, yeah. He goes, the Godfather would like you to submit your stuff to maybe open for him. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, great. The so, Godfather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm like very Caucasian, as you can see. I don't know how I would handle the room. Wait a second. You, Michael? I know. It's just <laughs> does not help so just as we're talking the, the bathroom door is thrown open james brown comes out he's like five foot nothing leather from head to toe like petrified hair the big Cape. white chiclet teeth you know yeah, yeah. and he's he looks at me and he goes yeah that's right we've been looking for a ventriculus for the show <laughs> so, 
So, um, over about a four-year period, I would tour with him during blocks of time. Now, a lot of those blocks of time were postponed because he was always in, like, you know, narcotics clinics and prisons. But uh, it was a tremendous uh, education. And we were in Atlanta, his hometown, and he took us to see, might have been, like, Sister Act 107 or whatever. whatever. That's my favorite one. Yeah, it was (laughs) And because, you know, in Atlanta, you know, in, in certain areas of Atlanta, you know, Schindler's List will be there for the weekend. But Sister Act 2 will be there for 18 years. So, yes, uh, you got to satisfy all the crowds, <laughs> which I, I loved it. So, yeah. So he took us all to the movies. And um, there's a story there that I, that I'm not going to tell here. You got to read the book to, to see what happened. It was I me, will. Backup singers, and it was uh, quite a scene. That's that sounds ridiculously amazing, and I will put those links in the Discord text channel for show guests. Everybody who's a part of the Discord. Also, Ricky, welcome. Hello, Ricky. Hey. All right. Um, also, we've got uh, <laughs> we've got all kinds of uh, tricks here. Uh, also, Jen says a good point about not making creativity a competition. That's totally what I believe as well. I don't, I think there are so many people who. Um, you know, I talk about this a lot too. Like sometimes people are like, "This idea is better because it was my idea," <laughs> and like it's there's so much ego involved. That's right. And, I, yeah, but so, I'm sorry. Please go ahead. No, that that's basically the thought. It's just yeah, there's so many. I, I, I think that it's a big problem because uh, you know it used to be before the internet, it was who came up with the idea first. Then it was who can do it more interesting. Then it was who can get it on TV first. And yeah. I think that. You know, even whether you're an actor or a singer or a puppeteer or a banker, no one's going to do your job uh, better than how you do it because the one thing that's different is what you're putting into it. Yeah. So keep your eyes on your own paper and just what you're bringing right. is is a part of you, and that's what makes it different. You don't have to be so creative or try to be funny or try to be, you know, the smartest guy or girl in the or person in the room. Um, I think it's naturally wow. genetically going to be there, and uh, it really just the other way just doesn't make anyone feel good. It's, you know, it's just a full struggle. Well, that's a very validating uh, statement, actually, because I say a lot, you know, you're good. You're good being you. You're good oh, no, enough. No, 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 you should stop. <laughs> I should stop. Yeah, except so, for you. You need yeah, to quit. Except you're... for you, by the way. Except for this you. is an intervention. <laughs> yes, we all. I mean, who am I? But who am I? You have like, you know, thousands of followers. If, if social media was big when like my comedy career was happening, I might have a few. I have, it's, it's, you know, it It just constantly changes too. So like, yeah, it's hard to keep up with. Now I just, I just created a TikTok just for, you know, like I don't, my, my nephew is like, listen, you really need a TikTok and Snapchat. I literally don't have any more interest or time, but I have a character that I'm doing on TikTok now and we just post it and you never know what's going to hit and what's not. And yeah. I'm not really invested in it, but I did it two days ago. And it's up to like 15,000 views or something. Yeah. Like For me, it's, kind of, it's a big deal. Well, that's the amazing thing about TikTok that I've found is that if you do a specific thing, if you're just you, Michael Paul, if you're just doing you and your kind of comedy, they their algorithm really finds the people who will enjoy your particular uh, brand, which is and actually – if they don't find anybody, then maybe it should tell me something. <laughs> yes, maybe they, we should have an oh, intervention. Oh. The name of the book is Breaking Out of Show Business, What I Discovered by Not Being Discovered. Michael Paul is our guest. I I have my uh, blurred filter here, but you can kind of see it. Yeah, there you go. So so you've had so many stories throughout uh, the years. And uh, I see on your Instagram, 
uh, at uh, Michael Paul Live, I see there's like a lot of run-ins with some massive uh, <laughs> celebrities. There's just a casual, no big deal shot of you and Harrison Ford. What was oh, that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he is awesome. I've worked with him. So there's a very weird thing that happens here in LA. There is, they have uh, award show season here. So all the celebrities are in LA at the same time and you know, the Globes happen and the SAG Awards and all that. And then to piggyback that, there is the uh, all the smaller uh, guilds that do their red carpet awards, the publicists and all that. Then there's yeah. the the charities that you know honor people, so they'll bring their famous friends. So uh, I started writing the Razzies. So the Razzies, right? So <laughs> somehow, uh, although I was originally directing uh, and and uh, the writing process for individual artists and one man shows and concerts and 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 comedy acts and things like that. It turned into the, I started getting calls for these award shows. Um, you know, Harrison Ford, you know, he is getting to an age where everybody wants to he's more willing to do things. You think as, yeah. as you know, he, he he's just so cool and he's hilarious. Right. So after like the fourth time we worked together, um, you know, he what happened was we were backstage and some lady got in backstage like the wife of some president of network and she had him cornered. And she's yapping his ear off, and he doesn't care. And I walk up to him, like, oh, Mr. Ford, we're ready for you. And there was nothing for him to do. And he's like, oh, thank you. And after we walked away, <laughs> he's, you're, you know, he would rather. You're like, I got you, Mr. Ford. Yeah. I got you. I mean, I hate the earring, but do whatever you want. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he likes to hang out with the custodian more than the CEO. He's just a really cool guy. He doesn't want to talk about show business. He'll talk yeah. about literally anything else. And right. uh, yeah, he's great. I well, I was surprised. Those I never take those pictures. It's nice that other people do. I feel like yeah. I don't know. You can be a fan without. It doesn't make them feel safe if you do that. But if there's some house yeah. photographer that happens to take a picture, then... <laughs> exactly. That's that's literally the name of my job. <laughs> I take pictures of those yeah, kinds well, of pictures. When I met, I said to you, "Hey, listen, yeah. uh, I I would like to have archives of of my work on the project we worked on to show my kids one day. I don't have any yeah. kids. My plants, my dog." <laughs> Uh, right. You know, if it's okay, if you have any time, it, it, would you shoot me a few? And you did. You were super kind uh, about it. It was really nice. Which well, that uh, died, actually. Thank God I put a few on social media. But uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Well, you're always welcome. And uh, that was an interesting job that we met on, actually, if you wanted to talk about that for a few minutes. It's actually yeah, pretty interesting. How you got that job first? Well, I got that job. I moved to Los Angeles with a camera and a dream. <laughs> I had nothing else. And uh, I... Else. I had some good friends though, and one of them happened to be like the produce producing these short films, uh, starring Kevin Spacey. It was what was the name of the uh, the, the competition? Yeah. The Jameson. Well, so Jameson first shot. Yeah. Uh, Kevin and his business partner, who did, they did uh, that Facebook movie, whatever that was called, and a bunch of and they did House of Cards. They were the first people to come up with that binge watch format for yeah, Netflix. Fifty Shades of Grey too. I think they did, did they do after that? that. Yeah. And they decided, you know. Kevin, you know, obviously, you know, if people do not say his name anymore, but, you know, it doesn't really take, I mean, he had a God rest of, his soul. Yeah, I mean, his career was great as, a, as, as an artist. It was just his personal life was a mess. But, um, yeah. you know, he always believed in sending the elevator back down uh, once you've made it. And so they cut a deal with Jameson Whiskey, which I got a case of that, and I don't really drink. I'm like passing it out to hobos, you know. Um, yeah, and they would they would take scripts from around the world and choose them, and then You'd come, they'd produce it for you, and you got to direct that season, Kevin Spacey. The next year, it was like William Defoe, 
Yeah. And I think they chose like three or four short films, right? Yeah, I think it was it's three short films a year and they would have, uh, you know, a big name celebrity star in them. And you were in the one called The Ventriloquist, which is about, a, I guess it's like eight or nine minute short. How long was that I, one? I don't know. Prob- probably. And yeah. You can see it online. Was, it was a very weird call. Um, yeah. I, I, got, I got a call and I, I've gotten calls a lot of times uh, to teach ventriloquism or to be a ventriloquist. Uh, I did a movie with David Wayne called The Ten, opposite Winona Ryder. I'm a ventriloquist again. But what was weird about the script was the idea had been done before. It's basically, we've all seen this before, where a street performer ventriloquist is lonely, a little crazy. They start thinking the dummy is real. They have arguments with it. They go nuts. They want the girl. They don't get the girl. All these weird things. And, you know, I don't know if it's because, you know, Kevin was a thespian and has never seen these things or doesn't get out of the house or whatever. He thought this was the greatest thing. I'm like, okay, whatever you want. So, and it was, it was fun. I mean, not to take anything away from, from Ben, who created it. It was, it was terrific. But, yeah. So originally I was called in to teach Kevin ventriloquism. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, it's not just not moving your lips. It's right. also how to... A, puppeteer the figure separate from yourself and to keep yourself still acting at the same time. And by the way, cut me off if I'm going too long on this story. No, this is all really interesting, actually, because uh, I'm, it's just like, come on in, Michael, teach me ventriloquism in the next yeah. 15 minutes. <laughs> well, that's what it was. So uh, yeah. I go in and they'd use, they used – someone gave them a dummy. It's kind of old school ventriloquist dummy and they're like yeah. do we call it a dummy is that okay i'm like it's not my dummy i don't know what you call them um, <laughs> right. they were they offended? Were, like you're precious about it or whatever so kevin and i are talking the about life it. challenged right uh <laughs> right. wooden american somebody said uh <laughs> so eventually they realized there was not enough time so they were going to dub his voice the puppet's voice in post but i still kind of had to give him tips on the lips and the manipulation so it's not so static and then, and then I'm done. I go home like two days later. Then I get a call again, like three days later. And they're like, Kevin's having a hard time separating his himself as the actor from the puppet. And he's huh. kind of – and I'm like, can you come in and talk to him? Well, you can't really tell huh. an Oscar, Oscar-winning actor what to do. But, yeah. you know, I would give him – I've been around famous people for a while. So I kind of gave him suggestions or thoughts that might ring true to him. And, yeah. and then after – so I did that. Then I left again. This job was supposed to be over. Then I get a call again, and I go, they go, I go, there's a fight scene between Kevin and the dummy when they're on opposite sides of the room. Who is puppeteering this dummy? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Nobody. I'm like, well, how do you expect it to move? How is it going to Oh, like, that's, oh, yeah. Would you do it? I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. Then <laughs> I have to go to the set and te- tell them how to build the set around the puppeteer, me. Yeah, wow. And so this that's... turned into like a week and a half thing. Right. Wow, that's amazing. I, I thought that you were sort of in there the whole time, but you had to sort of oh. – they, they didn't have an idea of what they were getting into no. <laughs> without No, they thought they'd have a dummy, and I don't know what they thought it would do. It would just yeah, act on <laughs> I really don't know. But they, they, yeah. they really got a kick out of it. Like I'm in my trailer, and, and one of them knock, – Kevin knocks on the door, and he comes in. They made little script sides for the dummy as well and a little chair and a little um, – but it was it was it was fun and it was unique being on set doing something that no one else in the room did, uh, and that was great. It was very hard to puppeteer that character. We kind of rigged it. I was working underneath it. It wasn't built that way. But it was it was really fun. And to watch him, regardless of his problems, to watch him work. Yeah, and it, was, it was pretty teasing, impressive. Teasing and playing with the crew, and then he looks down and looks up, 
and it's the yeah. guy, it's the character. Yeah, it was pretty so, impressive. I was, I remember yeah. being on that set. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Spacey, uh, you know, t- you take the good with the bad here, I guess. I suppose he's still, still good actor. <laughs> so uh, I, yeah. I don't condone him. I don't get uh, what he does, what he's done in his perfect personal life. But on the day on the set, when I was looking at the monitor. I felt as though I was watching the movie, and then I'd like look to my left, and there's Kevin Spacey live. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> yeah. he could click right into right into it. I mean, look, whatever his personal issues are, then you know yeah. uh, there was a reason why he you know was as good as he was in his craft. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. He was recognized uh, for his ability to act. <laughs> Right. And also recognized. Uh, maybe we should leave it at that. Yeah, we should. We should. Jadella yeah. at seventy-eight. Welcome. Uh, Jadella said that she has seen that, and it was a great one. It is. It is quite good, if uh, you can handle it. <laughs> but there are it's... some. Thanks to you, I, I still have some behind-the-scenes pictures nice. on my website under the puppeteering category. So if That's... anyone wants to go see it, it's there. That's amazing. So you also worked for the the Henson Studios or Jim Henson or. Himself? Yeah, when, I, when I was a kid, um, I, I was my parents took me to uh, MGM Studios, Florida, and the and we were on that tram car tour, and they're like, oh, and the offices to the left are being rented out by Jim Henson Productions, and I leaped off the tram car like while it was moving, and I'm like, fuck <laughs> that, I'll meet you at the end, and I, you know, security was not that heavy for some reason. I walked in, I'm like, oh, I'm. I'm looking for Jim Henson, and they're like, well, who, who the heck are you? <laughs> uh, he walked in. We talked for a little bit. Uh, I said, oh, I'm going to work for you one day. He uh, gave me his address. I wrote to the office, and a little while later, um, they wow. would give me a bus pass to come up to the workshop in New York, do a little work uh, you know, with them. Uh, I never puppeteered with him or anything like that. Wow. Uh, and then years That's... later, I was friends with Carol Spinney, the original Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. Yes, yeah. And uh, Carol uh, got me in, and I, uh, I I worked on a season or two uh, on Sesame Street, and and a few other things here and there for the Hensons. Uh, but there there's generally a, a high turnover, uh, unless you're a principal character. But I, I was very happy to have the experience. That's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah, and Carol Spinney, who we recently lost, actually. Yeah. That's. They were a friend of a friend, uh, yeah, actually too. And they've uh, that's that's a tough role, Big Bird. So how does Big Bird operate it? Like you've got to stick your arm straight up. Yeah, whoever <laughs> interested, there's a great. I think it's on Netflix. It's called I Am Big Bird, and it was a documentary yeah. of Carol and his life and how it all started. But Big Bird, first you put on the pants with the, the legs and the feet, which is kind of like a Versace pants sort of, and you you buckle it. <laughs> Then the bot, the wings and the neck can be taken off, but it's usually kept all in one. Wow. Uh, they put it over top of him. It's like a hoop skirt, but it's it's pretty heavy. I mean, there's three thousand feathers on there. Wow. Uh, his right hand goes into the beak uh, for the mouth, and then there's a little hook for his finger that works the those pink eyelids. To open ah, always it's wondered. It's over his head. His yeah. left hand goes into the left wing. That's the primary hand that moves. The other wing is a dummy hand that's on a uh, like a fishing wire attached to this one. So it kind of has a little movement to it. Um, right. And then there's no holes in the costume. There's a l- little tiny television monitor that he sits on his chest in the costume. What? So seeing the, the camera feed of what the audience is seeing at home. And the hardest thing about that is when you're watching a television monitor, when you're puppeteering on for television – the image is reversed. So if I need to grab the apple to the left of the screen, it's really to the right. So yeah. 
if you think about it, when we were growing up, Big Bird used to like unicycle and things like that. He's doing that in the dark <laughs> and reverse image on a TV screen. I mean, it's really quite athletic. That's insane. That's yeah. amazing. He, and he did it all the way up until his 80s. They let uh, over the, the the last couple of years. Uh, he had had a a um, an apprentice. Um, you know, they let him do it as long as he could. Yeah. Uh, in the last couple of years, you'd notice Big Bird had a little hump in his back. That was the head. He couldn't his head. He couldn't really hold the beak up, or maybe it right. wasn't quite in sync. Or uh, but his apprentice would sometimes puppeteer Big Bird, and then Carol would loop the audio after, right? Uh, just to keep him in the in the mix for as long as he he could. You know. Wow, that's interesting. We got a question here. Are there any specific puppeteers he looked up to, to you looked up to career-wise? So any specific ones uh, besides, I guess, Carol Spinney? Well, I I think uh, Carol was the nicest. I mean, obviously, when someone plays that kind of a role, an iconic role, they're, they're going to make people have to be a little saintly. Uh, he had a, kind of a little bit of a wicked sense of humor, and he was extremely giving, uh, and I really appreciated that. Um, I am a big fan of puppet. You know, the puppet world is kind of like that movie Showgirls back in the '90s, where yes. you're on a spots and pull, people pull a little. Yeah, people will, like kick you down the stairs and like chop up your puppet to get a role. You know. Oh uh, wow! And it's and for a while it was a boys' club. Like uh, a lot of women weren't getting cast or people of color, and that has been finally changing yeah. uh, as well. Um, I am a big fan of, and this is for any kind of artist. People that don't, you know, one of the reasons I, I moved on from Sesame Street, there were quite a few reasons, but one of them was, you know, you got to sit around and play Penguin Number 5 for like 18 years before anything happens. And right. I I think waiting on the step for them to throw you breadcrumbs, not that it's their fault because no one's leaving those positions, is just not how I wanted to live my life. And I think they yeah. also choose people when they see you doing your own thing, like you're doing your own thing. So. Right. I'm a fan of people who like there's a there's a guy here in L.A. His name is Grandpa Choco, and he has this character called Toily T. Paper. And it's a role <laughs> uh, that sings and dances and tells, uh, you know, uh, off color humor at times. And he is a huge social media following now. Um, right. Who knows where else it'll live? What else will come from it? But, you know, he did it all by himself. He wasn't necessarily getting on the roster for people and he really made it his own so so i would say people like that are the ones that i really appreciate also as an act to you know a lot of puppet shows won't hire me because they think i need to be in front because for 30 years i had a comedy act and i was in front or they right. think and i'm like i am just trying to sustain a job that i created myself as opposed to being cast on someone else's job so i appreciate that yes that very that's... long answer i'm sorry well, well it's, that's <laughs> great that's why you're here this is a talk show, <laughs> so, but it's it's interesting because, yeah, it's all about the hustle and about what you can generate and what you mentioned earlier that like what you specifically do, you specifically do is what's valuable. And uh, I, I also would be remiss if I did not mention that it is Star Wars Day. Happy uh, Star Wars Day. <laughs> May the 4th. And on my be, Instagram feed, uh, I have a, a, a video on the Instagram story of one of my characters acting like they were Chewbacca's acting coach back in the day. <laughs> you want I can to see imagine. The, the backstory of uh, Chewbacca as a uh, limited actor, <laughs> if you want to see no. he's, he's got – I can't imagine his range is that big. Uh, did you make did, – did, did your friend make the TP character before or after the COVID crisis? What inspired? I, oh, he yeah. had it before. Okay. Uh, and you'd think it would be all potty humor, which, by the way, I am not – above potty humor. I, yes. I think it's hilarious within, you know, 
the right uh, audiences. No, he made it before, totally tea paper. And I gotta say, whether it's your thing or not, it's... Okay. <laughs> something of it. Now, I, I have a character in my, you know, I'm, I'm not touring anymore uh, since COVID. I've been really moving into more um, acting, but also production. And I have characters that, two characters in my act in particular, that really made my career and paid all my dip bills for 30 years. And one of them I am branding into and introducing to brands to be a spokesperson, uh, kind of like um, the gecko and things like that. But of course, nice. everything I choose in my life is an area that I really know very little about or have no juice to get into. I always make it hard for myself. You know? Right. You just you just stop short of nothing, saying you right. know nothing about. But I, I, but I choose everything that I know nothing about. But that's but it you know knowing just a little bit about it and then actually finding out more. It's all a learning process. I've been like I, you know. It's still, still, I am figuring things out with music all the time. Like I'm like, oh, you know, that's I had no idea that that's how music worked. Even though I've worked in music for years. Are but, there uh, things that you are intimidated by in like showing your stuff or what you do? Like I know at a certain age, there's certain things I feel like I should know that I don't know. Yeah. Or yeah. Situations around people where I feel like I'm six years old again. Like, you know, is there? Do you have anything like that? I definitely get. Uh, nervous or weirded out or I'm not sure what to do in a situation like that. And then I'll just go like, I don't know. I don't know the answer. What do I do? How do I do this? I just kind of like give up, not give up, but I give in to the idea that I'm like, just show me how this works because I don't understand. And and this show has been basically a trial and error like that for a year now, the, the live show. And, uh, it, you know, it's coming together. It's it's starting to work. And I'm I, glad I, that you're, people, you're doing this. Thank I, you for, the, for uh, being course, on the show. I think, well, first of all, like I said, I'm a big fan of people who are doing for themselves. You know, I have people call me all the time about, uh, you know, what they want to do, what they should do. I'm like, okay, but when, you know, when are you going to do yes. it? Yeah. Uh, you know, things are hard enough. If you can't be motivated to work on your own exploration and passion, then who's going to, who's going to do exactly. it for you? That, that being said, it is very tiring being your own cheerleader all the frigging time. Sometimes yes. you get a break. Yeah. Um, but- <laughs> and it's hard because like you're in your own head all of the time thinking of all of the things <laughs> you're yeah. like, Oh, here's an idea. Now you got to do it. So you're, I imagine what's your process like when you're coming up with a new character or with a new puppet? Like what are I, your, I think that, well, yeah, this is a very interesting conversation because this past week, uh, yeah, and this is, it's really the same process. Like I am working with um, a Broadway person now and they are doing a one person show and people always try to come up with the show concept first. I have the title, I have the costumes and, and I'm like, yeah, that doesn't really sound very deep or fun. If you, I think if you, if you come up with things that, um, that are the most you or that are honest, not trying to yeah. uh, create or manipulate a scenario that will give you all the humor, all the music, all the answers that you need. So for instance, yeah. there's a lot of, uh, you know, ventriloquists or puppeteers that are like, Oh, I have a turtle puppet, but the material, the material, like if you're a ventriloquist and you're next to the turtle puppet, one, the material can't just be generic material that could go to a, a little boy puppet and the first, like, so one of my characters, right. one of my characters yeah. is the world's oldest gymnast, uh, <laughs> world's oldest gymnast, Nadia Coma. I've had her, you know, she's been, she gave me the Tonight Show and a bunch of other things. And, you know, most ventriloquists 
you know, act like they're friends or they travel together. Well, I would never know this person in real life. I'm not athletic. I'm not an icon. Uh, I'm much younger than this person. So I don't pretend to know who she is. Uh, <laughs> right? And what does she know who I am? Like she has to keep asking my, my name. Yeah. Uh, and yet I'm not doing a constant question and answer either. There's some dynamics that happen. So, you know, um, or I have, I have a bird puppet. It's the bird of prey that I did on AGT a few years ago. Um, you know, it's not just talking. It, you know, how do birds act? They pick their feathers. They go to the bathroom a lot, you know, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And what, what, so I would, I would say look for the parameters of that, whether you're an actor or a, a character you're creating, you know, look for the parameters of that person's world and, that will, mm -hmm. and the facts of that world, and that will really speak to the material. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, what is your favorite character slash puppet? Just mine you know. in my house. Uh, yeah. We'll start, let's start with like all time favorite, and then oh. go the one that you've created that is your favorite to uh, to so, show. Well, well, first of all, people people who know my act think that they're going to come here, and the puppets are like sitting around, like I'm having tea with them. <laughs> them Do you up. keep them in like cases or they're like in, boxes? They're in cases, and it upsets yeah. people very, very much. Um, yeah. <laughs> I said they get, really, they get really, you know, into the, into them. Uh, but to me, they're, it's a prop, right? Uh, I would say, I mean, I, when I was a kid, I loved Oscar the Grouch. He was just oh, mean yeah. and a lot yeah. meaner than he is now. Like now you're not allowed to be so mean, you right. know, like Maria would come up. He's like, Hey there, skinny. You know, you can't say that anymore. Um, yeah. I also like the whole idea of the can what's in the can. Uh, I thought he was great. Big Bird is a gorgeous puppet. Like, as I got older, he's just so magical. I mean, he, he is like six foot yeah. seven or something like that. Um, uh, who else did I really like? Um, I thought Are there any that, Star huh? Wars characters? Any Star Wars oh, characters? You know, you it's like? funny. I loved R2-D2. Yeah. Uh, who is a puppet, actually. I mean, he's a remote-controlled character. Uh, I don't know why I liked him so much. I mean, he, he obviously he can't scrunch his face and have a lot of movement and that sort of thing. Yeah. There was just something about the way he moved and the way he reacted, uh, the way they would manipulate him, uh, that he wasn't so flexible. I really in, enjoyed that a lot. In fact, when Galaxy World or Star Wars Land or whatever Disney's calling yeah. it, um, when it opened with the big Millennium Falcon and everything, I went into the gift shop and they have like a uh, like a droid shop there where you can. Have you been? I've not. I've heard some mixed stories about it though. <laughs> right. I mean, it has stuff. There are some, but the, the droid shop they make it like you're going to buy a droid, and then you can buy like a life size remote control R2D2. But they have the ones that are like this big. And when I was like a teenager, and like Kenner came out with R2D2, it was a crappy R2D2. It was like it had two legs. The head was too small. It only went forward and to the left. It just beeped this annoying noise. I was, you know, but now they were, they have these where it moves forward and backwards, it pivots, the head turns, it has 12 different things. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you're a grown man. You do not need another frigging toy in you your do house. Need it. <laughs> so I leave. So you bought it. My friend is going four days later. I'm like, you got to get me that toy. Yeah. <laughs> it is sad how much fun I've had with this toy. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. my own puppets, um, I don't know. I mean, I have one puppet. I, uh, I did this little web series that I didn't expect anyone to watch. I really just did it to collaborate with fun people and have something to tinker with yeah. called Bedfellas. It's the monster under the bed who never left after the kid grew up because he's committed <laughs> to the relationship. And right. uh, it's on my it's on my website. It's on YouTube. It's called Bedfellas. And a lot of like, 
you know, a kind of adult humor, but he's a very fun and he's big and blue and has crazy hair and a fang. And he's a little, he's not, he's not gay. He, but he's not the most masculine character. He's a little California crunchy. He's like, hey, listen, if you want to act that way, if you want to wear your hair like that, that's your choice. Right. That kind of guy. And a little insecure yeah. be like, hi, I'm Tom. And I, uh, Tom, it's me, I'm Tom. And uh, I really thought that Tom, it's me. You know, he has to like, keep <laughs> creating. So right. I, he's really fun and he has live hands and I like that a lot. Oh, yeah, live hands are, those are interesting. Like the Swedish chef has the live hands. Is that, or? He does. He does. But but are these gloved hands? Or are these real human hands? Uh, Tom, uh, the monster, has gloved hands to match oh, okay. her. The Swedish chef, the uh, Bill Beretta, who now does the Swedish chef voice, he does the head, and then someone is in front of Bill with their arms up doing the hands so they can coordinate the cooking and all of that. Oh, wow. That's yeah. that's kind of amazing. Our guest today is Michael Paul. His book is called Breaking Out of Show Business, What I Discovered by Not Being Discovered. Why do you say you're not discovered? Uh, well, like I said, you know um, – when they called me, they're like, look, we're going to put the, the book is on Amazon and all this other stuff. And I said, it doesn't matter. Nobody knows. They're like, we want to talk about your career. I'm like, nobody cares about my career. I, I, I'm one of a million people in entertainment that no one's ever heard of. So aside from, but what we did was aside from like the 50 show business stories, cause you got to have some of that without getting sued. It really talked more about, you know, the growth process and how I kept for a while. I was like shooting myself in the foot a lot yeah. Uh, you know, and, and getting out of my own way or, you know, tra- traumatic things, uh, that happen in the industry that you learn from the good, the bad, yeah. the ugly. And then at the end of the book, it was like, but I'm done now I'm doing something else. And then the yeah. book came out and I didn't do something else. And when, when we went into reprints like two years ago, they're like, you know, you're, you're still doing it. I'm like, <laughs> but I've retired the mindset and I am doing other things. So we wrote, uh, a prologue about what no an ep, which is at the end an epilogue epilogue uh, yeah, I think to why I'm still here and, and what I learned so that, yeah. that's why um, yeah I, just to break out of that mindset and because uh, I was really uh, you know I was screwing myself uh, emotionally yeah and it's it's an ongoing thing you never know I have a friend who has been acting since the early 80s and he just keeps saying I can retire now I can retire now and then I see him on like Hawaii Five-0 or so or whatever <laughs> and I'm like he just it, he, it is a it's one of those things carrot. it is yeah. a dangling carrot that never changes you know you think oh well, that'll make me feel better oh that's the one thing I want to do and then yeah. you know when you're tired I just kind of look behind me and I'm like oh look at all that stuff that I did okay maybe maybe it's yeah. enough now you know, it's that's like a, that outwardly validation. That is a very distinct feeling for sure, where you're you're constantly looking for work. The life of the hustle is you're constantly looking and then you're getting here and there. But then now that you've got a job, you're like, OK, what's the next? You're still sort of in that zone of like, this is great. I'm doing this. I'm enjoying this. And as soon as that's done. Yeah, it's like as soon as that's done, it's I'm like the, that day. I'm like, OK, so what's coming up <laughs> Next, yeah, so. and it really robs you of being present. But and it's really it was bad for me for a while. Like I cannot, when I get a behind the scenes photo, it has nothing to do with. It's not bragging. It's not ego. It's look how fabulous this looks. This is yeah. so cool, and I want to share it. And a lot of times, you know, you're not allowed to share those things until. Right. I mean, wait. did you take any behind the scenes photos of your recent uh, commercial that I see? <sighs> Every frigging day. <laughs> Apparently, a lot of people are seeing. I get texts just like two at a time. I get. How many? How many? Now, did you have like an acting process about that? Are you good at memorizing? How many? How many times did you get to rehearse it? Uh, 
Well, it's a commercial, so you do it a lot. Uh, also, I had a few days. The funny thing is, they didn't really finalize any of the script until the night before, and then they get, and there are like several other commercials in this campaign where it's just a spokesperson just talking, and um, right. and. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Are I you just thinking you're gonna pull something out of your hair, like a sandwich or something. <laughs> yeah, watch out! I've got this is where I keep all the hot dogs. Uh, yeah, <laughs> my hair is just. I've decided not to cut it this entire year, so now it's not like it's everywhere. Me too. <laughs> Fair enough. You, we can share. So, so you were saying it was a spokesperson? Yeah, it, it was just mainly. You know, I was just having fun. I was like, look, this is an amazing experience. They flew us to Bulgaria actually to shoot this we were in bulgaria for two weeks we were on lockdown in a hotel because <laughs> they Wait, had is to it a bulgarian t- company no they're based out of seattle so redfin's based why is it cheaper to go to bulgaria i don't know like at the time it was 61 cents on the dollar and they sent us there and i did the show from there almost every night and i was just right. like hey i'm in bulgaria now <laughs> We're going to shoot this commercial and uh, we shot it and it was just, I just was having fun and yeah, just being silly. Was that a uh, practical set or was it uh, a 3D or green screen? Here's the crazy thing. They built all of those sets. They even built those houses that drop down, but they're miniatures. So yeah, so they just filmed and plugged in these miniatures and all the stop motion and stuff. So it was actually really, really cool group of people that... A few years ago, they did the Tide ad commercials. Do you remember those? It's a Tide ad, and it, you, yeah. it, it, they appeared like a Mr. Clean commercial or an Old Spice commercial. But halfway through, they'd pull out like a Tide bottle, and they'd be like, "This is a Tide ad, by the way." So yeah, they did those kind of weird uh, commercials. It was it was super fun. Uh, do you happen to know? I have a friend who's also a puppeteer. Her name is Christine Barger. Are you? Do you know? She was on Penn and Teller. Uh, Fool me. Actually, she she, she went on as a ventriloquist slash Mm -hmm. mentalist. So she had an act. Yeah. Where she did a mentalist mentalism joke and she was doing, she's a puppeteer and ventriloquist. I should say. I I don't know her. It does remind me of, she must know. There's a guy named Jay Johnson who was on the show called soap for a long time where he played it. You got, it's really a funny show way back in the day where he had a ventriloquist dummy that he thought was real. He was a little nuts. And they did a, you know, a thing where the puppet blindfolded. And he's like, all right, Bob, I'm holding an object. Do you, do you know what it is? And he's like, <laughs> is it a phone? Oh, my God. It's a, you know, and <laughs> just rolling their eyes. That's um, amazing. That's, yeah. it, it kind of but reminds I, me I, of, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you no, no, sorry. You, you had a follow-up to that. No. Nope. Oh, <laughs> it just reminds me of, uh, when Ellen DeGeneres was actually funny, uh, I say she's still funny. There's a lot of, I've, I've talked about her. I've worked on the show. I've talked about the environment there. We could, we could maybe, I don't know how much dirt people want to hear, but you know, we were talking about I want to hear it. And her executive producer uh, was my first job as an intern. Remember, you know, I told you I was working in Philly at, during high school, her executive producer, the one that got the ax, uh, was my uh. first job. Ah, I knew of this this person, which, yes. So it was interesting. Well, her joke was actually really hilarious. This was when she was a young comedian. She did, uh, she would go up on stage with a Whopper as if she were late and be like, and she would start eating the Whopper and she'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm late. I'm starving. I haven't had anything to eat today. Just 
and she would try to tell jokes while she was eating a Whopper. And she would t- get through one joke and finish the Whopper, and it would her- be her five minutes, and then she'd be done. Uh, so it was actually a really, <laughs> a really funny joke. But I worked on the set, and I got to tell you, the rumors are true. <laughs> All of the the environment is not it's not a uh, relaxed environment. It's not. I, I say, you- I, well, I usually describe it this way. Ellen is number one in daytime TV talk shows, and she knows it, and she wants to stay number one. That's all I have to say. So she's. Yeah, I think she, that yeah. you can't get to that level of success and not have your personality skewed. I think it's impossible. Yeah. I also know that the way the produ- the the executives handle their talent from any of the shows they worked on previously, they did. Uh, isolate the talent from the rest of the team. And I think that also creates, from what I've been, at least the ones that I've seen, and I think that also creates a problem and perpetuates the behavior you're talking about. Yeah, it was, it was kind of shocking because I felt, it it felt very stressful to be around people who you could feel were doing things so they would not get punished. (laughs) It was almost like out of a fear, like the, all the way up the chain. I wonder if Oprah feels that uh, working for Oprah feels that way. I wonder. Uh, she seems to. People seem to love her, um, but at the same time, you know, I remember when Oprah checked out about twenty years ago, twenty five years ago. I was watching some Oprah show, and she was just not the present. She was just reading her questions off of a cue card. Well, everyone went crazy about the Harry and Meghan interview. I thought Oprah was terrible. She wasn't listening. She repeat things a million times. She'd re-ask these titillating questions. I'm like, really? You're doing this tabloidal stuff now? You're you're yeah. pushing it? Just, She's got to sell I, her I, network. I, yeah, I thought it wasn't very good. Her network is like two blocks from me. It looks like the Death Star. Uh, uh, really? <laughs> Speaking of Star This building Wars. with the own letters on it, it casts a shadow on the whole neighborhood. That's crazy. Yeah, Oprah, I didn't really care that much about that interview. I've seen, people seem to be blown out of the water by that. And I'm just like, I don't really care about the royal family. <laughs> I just don't seem to think there's... And what she said may ha- or may not have been true. I don't know. Uh, Meghan Markle. Um, I don't yeah. doubt it. Yeah, I don't doubt it either. I'm just like, I don't know. I don't really... Hey, it's one way, of those... Not to be a, not to be a total yeah. shill... But my book yeah. also talked about when I snuck past security and met the queen. Wait, time out. Michael, Paul, you've met the queen. Did you Wait, curtsy? Do you want a picture? Do want a picture? <laughs> I, do, I do want a picture of this. Will says, as soon as you mentioned soap, the theme started playing in his head. So I know. It really was a great show because it was shot like a stage play. And it was really yeah. ahead of its time. Okay, now, keep in mind, this is like in the 90s. I'm wearing a terrible jacket. My hair is really big. I, I'm going to have to turn off this filter, uh, I guess. Yeah, turn the filter uh, now you've met the you snuck past the continental soldiers with their with yes. the <laughs> okay can you can you see this oh my gosh uh okay, the, the queen's like behind... how the heck did you get here <laughs> right like who the hell amazing. are you so all right yeah. it actually went on the conversation went on for about five minutes to make a very long story short i was performing at this hotel she was doing a tour of the Commonwealth with the Prime Minister. It's called Buckingham husband. Palace, okay? <laughs> what? No, I wasn't performing at the palace. And uh, they were doing a tour of like all the whole, all the Commonwealth around the globe that they own or whatever their deal yeah. is. The, the sun never and sets. <laughs> the cast of the show that I was in was invited, but behind the velvet ropes to participate. Yeah. And I'm like, I am gonna, I am gonna meet the Queen. And so I put on 
my ID badge to work because we were in a show at the hotel, dark glasses. I got a clipboard from behind the front desk and shoved some fake paperwork in it and (laughs) stepped over the velvet ropes. And wow, there were three security teams. There was hers, the hotel security, and then like the Royals security, whatever. And everybody just thought I was with a different team. So when somebody's like, all right, public, back it up. I'm like, okay, back it up. Back, you know. (laughs) Uh, and then when they came in, I just threw the clipboard behind the tree and I stepped into line. Uh, and if you want to know what we talked about. Yeah. You got to read the book. Just, yeah. Although, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But, no, that's, um, that's amazing. Uh, uh, I'm just trying to think of what you could possibly be talking about with the queen. I imagine she she's a, a chat, she was a chatty Kathy. Like I really didn't want to, I just wanted to meet her and she, she just kept yeah. talking to me and I did get, and then and because I wasn't supposed to be there. So the manager of the hotel who got like no time with her was like, give me the stink eye. And you can't really like that picture of some press guy sent it to me because you can't really be like doing a selfie with the queen or whatever. <laughs> so I'm in my room later on and I get a call and they're like, they want you to perform at this evening thing. Well, my act was very young. It was all <laughs> male <laughs> genital jokes. It was, it was uh, all. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I like one joke that I stretched really long. Yeah, I don't even know how I got through it, to tell you the truth. It was very, very stressful. Right. Well, you can't say, thank you. It's, an, it's a legendary story. I always say like the most stressful times, the most nervous we feel. Not that I always say this. I've heard this somewhere. It, it, those are the moments we remember the best in hindsight. A lot, usually. Usually. Yeah. Sometimes they could be for bad reasons. But uh, just- what's your favorite uh, puppet movie? Is there a movie that you absolutely love? I mean, love? you the know, my, the scope of my, my, my work and what I like goes, goes beyond puppets, obviously. Yeah. But if I'm happy to stick to this topic, if you like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, everyone seems to love Team America. That's um, one's pretty good. Yeah, uh, that was really hard. For my friends, I got texts every day on how impossible that set was. Um uh, what else? I mean, the original, I've never been a fan of the Muppets after the original cast of performers either passed away or retired. Um, I do not, I think there's only like two out of the five that are actually good actors. The rest are just good impersonators or decent impersonators. Yeah. There's, I don't think they're very good and them and they won't let anyone coach them. And that's a problem. But the original first three Muppet movies, uh, the original Muppet movie, I, I think Muppets, uh, Take Manhattan. That is probably one of my favorites. I also That's like great. The Great Muppet Caper because it oh. has an English swing to it, and I'm a big fan of working in the UK. Yeah. Um, I, I thought there was a lot of really funny, smart humor in that. I, I think those are my favorites. Are you usually, usually touring um, when it's not COVID? <laughs> like what's the so, – what actually, have you done I've during this time? I've been looking for a reason to stop touring, and COVID was the, the hook. Yeah. Stop. I uh, really, I had hit my ceiling with it. That the money was changing, the perks were changing. But yeah, I mean, the majority of my career went before the before comedy got really saturated. I would a couple of months out of the year, I would do clubs, and then I would do uh, casinos and opening act stuff, and then I would do um, like the review shows, um, like the Las Vegas review shows, and uh, I do the occasional uh, cruise ship and corporate events. Not my favorite things. Um, and yeah, I was, I was touring yeah. full time, um, in between doing the production stuff to just kind of make myself feel like 
I had a home and I wasn't just drooling into a cup wondering what, what city I'm in, you know? Yeah. What's now you don't have to name names, but what's the, like Bill one Cosby. of the stories. Uh, <laughs> it was Bill Cosby. He gave me a drink. Right. Uh, what is, what is one of the things that you learned the hard way? I'll say oh, from, yeah, that's pretty easy. Um, you know, I, so I was on my own very, very young. Uh, I was like a sink or swim kind of thing. Yeah. And <clears throat> I I needed a career fast. And so, I, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people, I think whatever job they do, you fake it till you make it, right? Yeah. And a lot of times when we're – like it's one thing if you're mentored and then the things you take away from it are similar to your mentor because it's all you know right now. Hopefully that falls away and you come into your own. I think that – PRing yourself to death to try to get in the door like, oh, I'm doing big things. We have a production company. When it's not we, it's you. Yeah. All that BS um, doesn't help you. It's kicking. Yeah. It's screaming. It, it's it's uh, an ego stroke. And I think that you can't circumvent the process of experience. Yeah. Um, and you got to stop looking at the clock. Like people move to LA and they're like, I gotta be seen, yeah. I gotta get an agent, you know, blah, 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 you know, and 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 just the the bull bull of it all, the PR of it all yeah. is the biggest worst thing for a person's head, and to perpetuate good work. I think most improvisational actors are probably the most pure, because most of them are working in a little petri dish on a little tiny stage at UCB with a bunch of people. Yeah. Just having fun, not looking over their shoulder, saying, "Hey, how can I manufacture this for the executives to see? How how can I, you know, right. I say they're just working on their stuff." Jane Lynch, you know, she had that character she's always cast for for like twenty five years, and now yeah. it's, it's paid off. You know, now yeah. she's got Bobby she's got Moynihan as also, yeah, he's I a mean, UCB guy. Correct. Have you? Did you? Um, do you have any? Um, did you go to any of those schools like Second City, UCB? Well, again, trips. I had to make a career really fast for myself, uh, and I yeah. regret, uh, you know, for, I was touring, doing comedy clubs when I first started, but then when I started doing the the Variety Act um, and I got calls for Las Vegas, I kind of got off the road and started doing these glitzy things where the money was, the immediate yeah. money, and I, not realizing that in the comedy world, Variety Acts or acts that have props were considered lesser than stand-up right. comedians. And Carrot top. Right. Meanwhile, he's a cabillionaire. I know. Uh, he's got his I own know, residency. He looks nuts, but he, he is a cabillionaire. <laughs> and so I do regret not staying in the trenches. I think my career could have been a little different and provide a little more legitimacy. But, you know, what can you do? You just got to keep at it. Yeah. Something that resonated with me that you just said was that people come to LA and they're like, I'm going to give it one year, maybe two years and see how my acting career. And you're, I'm like, you're just counting down the days until you decide to leave. You have to kind of just decide that you want to do this kind of silly that's thing. Right. There, for. That's right. There yeah. is no finish line to being a creative. And yeah. if you think there is, then you should stop. Exactly. Uh, also because you're an entrepreneur. And you and then people beat themselves up when they're having a hard time. Well, this is part of the process. And just like now at this age, if everything's are things are ever tough work wise or money wise, I'm like, well, it's not like I haven't been here 50 times. Right. So, and I'm exactly. still here. So why am I giving it so much power? I mean, look, I, right. I got rid of all of my 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 agents. Uh, I was doing a, a, 
quite a bit of voiceover work and acting in New York. And then I came here and, you know, I didn't know where I belonged. I was kind of going through it. I was doing more production. I got rid of all the agencies because they were kind of like, I had too many credits where they couldn't really help me and get me in the door, but I wasn't, didn't nearly have enough credit for like the big boys to talk to me. So I got rid of them yeah. all. And now that I'm so comfortable in my body and my, yeah. you know, COVID-19 belly, I want to audition again. And now Whoa. I got to go find an agent. And uh, they're like, well, what have you been doing for five years? And it's COVID and we got to get the rest of our people working too. So, yeah. you know, it's ever, it's, it's never ending. It's never ending. It's, it's the hustle that it's a lifestyle. If you want to call it that, it's just something you have and to. And it's not uh, failure if you want to stop and do something else. I right. know a lot of people that eventually stop and do something else and they're like, Oh, I'm pretty happy. This gives me other things that I couldn't have before. And I'm okay with that. That's exactly how I view it. I don't think that anything is a failure. I think you decide to stop at some point and, and right. do something else like, and, and life is really a series of deals. Like I, that's how I looked at it this whole time. Well, after having some huge deals fall through and be like, wow, like major record deals fall through and, and stuff like that. And I'm like, but then every so often you get something like a big deal. Like the Redfin thing has been a huge thing yeah. for me and, and it's been COVID this whole time. So I'm like, but also, you know, it takes a minute before you get your checks and it's, it's, oh, it's never too soon. Never too it's soon. A... And what I, that's right. But the checks are really cool because there's the, the United States checks, residual, yeah. and then if it's international, those checks. And residuals are awesome. Never do they, a buyout if you can help it. Yes, uh, but, you know, so I, like, I still get – apparently I, I did a film called 27 Dresses, and I've done bigger roles. But for some reason this people keep coming back to me with. It was not a big role, and I'm like – and every time I look at it, I'm like, I get to get a new credit. You know, it's yeah. just so sad. You know, people are still – that was like 10, 15 years ago, you know, that's not, well, that's, that's really good. I mean, what, what, how do you, um, as far as like agents and as far as what you've been like trying to do, I know we're kind of like touching on this, but it's, yeah, it's COVID is very difficult. It's like, you're sort of auditioning from, are you doing auditions from home right now? Are you, I saw you were creating a lot of stuff during the so, pandemic too. Right. So yeah. during COVID, aside from my own creative content yeah. and helping other people with theirs. Um, I'd spoken earlier about that weird sect of production. That's the award shows here and all those people and fundraising people and charities and, and product rollups and things like that needed virtual content. And so yeah. myself and three partners put together a very quick little company just to try to get some money coming in during COVID. And that's kind of turned into a few cool things. Um, we just did a Spike Lee tribute hosted by Jodie Foster and, and you know, oh, but you know how it is. You do five, you know, mediocre things to pay the bills. And then one thing like looks really good. Yeah. And kind yes. of, helps you so that's been taking up most of my time. Um, I definitely need new photos like everybody, but yeah. I'm waiting till I lose a little weight. Like from here up, I look okay down here. It's like a dumpster fire. So um, <laughs> we're all, we're all celebrating the COVID bod right yeah, now. Right. It's, it's okay. Uh, so, you know, but I'm not doing things like I'm, I'm not acting like a young act, actor, like an actor should where I'm not submitting myself on Actors Access or LA Casting. You know, I'd really yeah. like to, you know, be introduced to uh, or to an agency. It would be great if I had an agency that could handle my production side, too. But I'd really be happy with someone that really just gets me and also doesn't think just because I came from comedy that I need to be submitted for every single sitcom. You know, com people that are in comedy, you know, know a lot about pain and that's why they can access that very yes quickly. i would very much like to you know do other things mm. i have a whole uh, 
thing about comedy that uh, it's very true. It's it's if you know comedy, you know pain. If yeah. you know how to feel better from just doing or saying something, it's because of the self-soothing aspect of comedy and soothing of others. I think it's a really important uh, aspect of humanity. You're doing yeah. a service, Michael. And it's a little that's that is why I'm here. Yes, good. Good. Yeah. You should hear that everybody. Michael's here to do a yeah. service. Uh, no calls. No yes, don't add him. Uh he's the name of the book. I was seeing a therapist really quick and I, I said I had therapy this morning. I said it's great. You can't police yourself. But I, comedy is nothing unless you have a little anger or angst. So I'm like, please do not yeah. fix me enough that you ruin my career. Yes. Exactly. This much. Just give him just give him an inch. Yeah. Uh it's an intent what let's see, Jodie Foster plus puppets, the beaver, someone asks. Do you know because Jodie Foster did that movie with Mel Gibson a few oh, years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So someone pointed out that that connection, I guess. Um, yeah, we didn't talk about that. We talked about a lot of things, but not that. <laughs> we did not talk about Mel Gibson. We did talk about Kevin Spacey. If you're into controversial figures who are abusive, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so the name of the book is "Breaking Out of Show Business: What I Discovered by Not Being." discovered yeah, but yeah being discovered this is this is it michael from here on out superstardom i think I, <laughs> i'll take uh, right i'll take a paycheck i'll take an agent i'll take uh you know i'll take anything i don't need superstardom well, um but that's yeah. what's so great about uh hearing your perspective is because you are a working uh, entertainer and it's about the hustle and it's good to hear about that it's good to hear that you you, you gotta do all of the things you've got to oh, don't get me wrong i am tired <laughs> uh, I, am, look tired. I am tired, but I but like I said, I did I relinquish a lot of the pressure of having a lot of judgment about where I'm at and where I am not at. Yeah, personally, professionally. Well, that's good. That's so a that, huge. That has been helping. It always yeah. be there a little. Bit, you know. And and I think the the pandemic uh, has, it, has it taught you anything? Has this pandemic given you any like insight? Anything interesting that you learned about yourself? Well, I think it for uh, my hygiene is impeccable. Well, there you go. Uh, I do That's, think that because you could let it all go. You could just I decide. Shall, except you could my waistline. Just like decide keep, not to cut anything. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I did let my waistline go. I feel like I always think people are following me. Um, it's my love handle. <laughs> but uh, so I think. Well, I was ready for the pandemic because, you know, I've always kind of had a desk at home when I came home to work when I wasn't on the road. Um, I like tinkering and having a lot of quiet time. I mean, the first couple of weeks, I'm like, oh, walking around in my underwear, eating and just tinkering with nonsense. I, I could do this for a while. Um, yeah. I think it also, again, perpetuated this thing that I was learning about being very present and being a little kinder to myself. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and, and again, not having judgment on where I am at or not. Don't micromanage the universe. Do your due diligence when it comes right. to the hustle and then go for a hike. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's really that's really comforting to hear, actually, because I started doing this daily live stream about a year ago because it was just, what else are we going to do? And yeah, and I've been doing it ever since then. And what it has brought me has just been like, okay, well, I could just be me and that's all I can be. And I'm not going to try to to do anything more than that. Um, 
but uh, it's always fun and engaging to talk to to you and to talk to people who are in the business and who have been working at this for very long and will continue to work at this. I mean, do you have <laughs> do, you, okay. do you have any spe- special Star Wars Day plans for for after this? <laughs> that is a loaded question. That's a loaded uh, question. I do not. I do you don't have to answer it. Just get Harrison Ford. I, I, you know, you've been going at this for a while. And yeah, I think that also in today's show business, like people really don't have like stage names anymore. They yeah. keep their ethnicity and they're just being natural. And that's what's really engaged me. I mean, clearly people are listening to what you have to say. I also started out as a tech and a design and a tech and yeah. a set designer. So I like that you have backlighting uplights on your walls <laughs> and, a, and, and a key light on your face. I mean, this is the kind of nerd that I am. That, well, that's I'm glad uh, I'm happy I, you noticed that, Michael. I do also, feel like Yoda ruins your shot, but uh, if you, if you make you feel better, that's okay. He's a he's a comforting pet. Uh, that's a, actually an interesting question. I think of coming from base, basically working on all aspects of shows. How do you feel when you're in front of the camera versus on all other sides of it? So it is hard for well, it's not hard for me, but. You know, it depends on the role I'm playing. Like, you know, when I did something like AGT, you know, I am very clear. I know know how I look. I know how the characters look. I know how to how to make it work on camera. I know what the lighting should be. I ask them how they're recording. Are they recording in isolated recording? So I know what's happening around me so they don't use B-roll and change the story on me or something like that. Um, I I can play both sides but like the other day i just did this puppet shoot where i was puppeteering and directing and we were very short on time and i can't really do it well i cannot direct well when i'm busy focusing on on what i'm doing right um, i don't know how, how do you john favreau do- does it i am the poor man's i am john favreau without being weighed down with a lot of talent or money <laughs> yeah you don't want those burdens no. you also mentioned ben affleck does that too uh and you mentioned you have a story about ben affleck uh, but it's is, I don't think we have time for this story. How much? How? how what, I, I really don't think we have if time. If you but, want to tell the story, I would love to hear it. <laughs> I wish I had more coffee. All right, so you can have some of mine here. Thank you. So there was a time in my life when I was doing stand up that I was I would be hired by corporations to be a fake guest speaker and do things like what Andy Kaufman would do, which is like upset the crap. Yeah. So, for instance, I was asked to participate at this um, uh, architecture convention, and I was going to be the keynote speaker. And I came up, and I'm describing to everyone about how I have create, I am going to build a hosp- a mental hospital under the ocean. And I have pie, ch- pie charts and everything because the pressure under the ocean makes the people's brains, you know, not so much pressure, and they're not as crazy. It's going on and on and on. And at first, everyone's like, "Yes, yes, very good." Yeah, and then. I start getting a little nuts about it, clearly like I have a problem. And then I'm explaining, oh, you see, we're going to do it like paper mache where you have the, you, you know, you put the cement, uh, th- you blow up a balloon and you put the cement in and you pop the balloon in the middle. And as I'm going further, people are getting very irate. And they're, yeah. they're like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I, I will not stand for this. Right, you're making a mockery of our business. So to the point where I start screaming at people, I'm like throwing water at people and, they, and security drags me off. Then the CEO Good comes in, explains who I am. I come back on, I do five minutes of stand up and I kind of do some callbacks and that's it. So from that job, I got a call from the press junket producers for Ben's movie Gili when he was dating. He had just oh, broken Gilly, up with Gili. Classic. American and that, classic. You know, did not do very well. No. 
So they needed a little press. They said, we want to hire... Not as good as reindeer games, but... (laughs) So we want you to go to the press junket as a member of the press. You'll be a plant. And when he comes in, we want you to agitate him. (laughs) And create a fuss that will show up on, like, Access Hollywood and things like that. He doesn't seem that hard to to nudge. Well, I didn't know. I said, does he know that this is happening? Yeah. They wouldn't really answer me but they basically said do your thing but i was a kid i was they were only paying me like 500 bucks or something and if i got arrested i was on my own so oh they didn't want they didn't want to bail you out no (laughs) that's ridiculous so i go in i'm from like the las vegas sun and they gave me credentials i'm there all day the moderator comes in and says okay ben affleck's gonna come in here no questions about j-lo here's ben affleck so of course he comes (laughs) in it's the first question i ask yeah. About J-Lo. And then they're annoyed and he kind of sloughs it off. A few people ask questions. He only The press only gets like, you know, 12 questions. And then he moves on to another area, like the print room or something like that. So everyone has their professional cameras. And I have my <clears throat> Kodak uh, uh, automatic where you snap the photo and then you go <laughs> for the advance, you know. <laughs> yes. So I walk right up to the dais. I snap it in his face. And I'm walking away just going to sit down like a crazy person. I'm like <laughs> <laughs> think I'm absolutely bananas. And, I love and then this. I'm like, he won't answer me. And I'm like, you're no Ben Affleck. I mean, you're no <laughs> Matt Damon. What's no. that movie coming out? And we're like, he's like flapping his arms. And then I storm out and make a whole scene. So uh, it showed up in like the paper, some irate, you know, ridiculous reporter and, and one of those magazine shows and, and that sort of thing. But he got in my, he did get in my face. And uh, there, was all, there was some finger point, very close finger pointing going on. And then I was dragged out. Oh wow, that's <laughs> I don't I don't know if I want to upset Ben Affleck. No, too well, much, he but... was a lot less volatile back then. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's yeah, he seems kind of like touch and go. You never know what's going to go on with Ben. With I mean, Matt, look, it ben can't Affleck. feel good with that, Matt uh, Affleck. Right, I, <laughs> I mean, listen, he has he's had a fine career. He, uh, people seem to have uh, embraced his uh, his friend a lot more. <laughs> Uh, as an artist, but that, yeah. maybe that weighs heavily on him. Who knows? Uh, someone says, uh, they, Will says he feels like Michael needs to be retelling the story with your face obscured and your voice distorted so, so that you're in witness protection. I am sure this book will keep me from many, many jobs. <laughs> but it's uh, great. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, that, no I, no one's going to care. You know, no one, yeah. here, no one knows. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't mind telling the stories about the Ellen show because they're true stories. So yeah, there you go. People are terrible. Who cares? Uh, uh, maybe when I have you back, we'll talk about how Cindy Lauper is one of the worst human beings I've ever worked with. Oh, ever. I have heard. Yeah, <laughs> she, so, you know, the book also talks about David Letterman, Rosie O'Donnell, Donald Trump, uh, Rodney Dangerfield, uh, William Shatner, Catherine Heigl, and, uh, and a bunch of others. So that's that's amazing. I saw that you have that that's still of you and Catherine Heigl on your Instagram. Uh where you can follow Michael Paul at Michael, Michael Paul, Paul Live. Join the and, other people. I'm very interested. <laughs> and go to his website, Michael Paul Online. And if you're in the Discord, that will be available to you. Uh and a link to buy his book, which is called Breaking Out of Show Business, What I Discovered by Not Being Discovered, which is funny. That does remind me of Frank Zappa's The Greatest Band You Never Heard in Your Life, which is yeah. what I kind of referred to my band of uh, well, back in the day. I've always said that I've skyrocketed to the middle. 
<laughs> exactly. My mom, after I got this, the Redfin thing, which is like a huge deal, but I've been doing, you know, as you know, you do a, a million little jobs and then boom, here comes a big job. And uh, my mom's like, I can't wait till you're, you know, pretty soon you'll be an over, overnight success, which has taken a yeah, while. There's no such thing. You know what no, I think? I realize most of the people that are like huge deals in this, in, in Los Angeles, they grew up here. They all went to yep. school together. Their parents know each other. It's not like they were plucked out in Nebraska. Yeah, it's very – There's, I was, I've been talking about that on the show. It's just there's so much nepotism. And it's, it's kind of – that's just the nature of the beast. And it's also – if you live in Michigan, if you live in Detroit, chances are you have a family member that works at Ford. So if you live in Hollywood, chances are you have a family member that works at I mean Harvard's. I would move back to Philly or some other town. I mean people have made more out of a career with less credits than me. So, you wow. know, I I would move into other other areas of work and and go back east. Well, there are other places opening up, you know. You've got Atlanta is big, but now yeah. you don't want to work in Atlanta, <laughs> but uh, Portland. Atlanta? Am I out of the loop? <laughs> well, Atlanta just Georgia in general with their voting rights and oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, denying people uh access to voting and yeah, it's horrible. So, we don't want to go there. We don't want to support their economy. No. Uh, but also New Orleans and Portland and other places like that are coming up with the film. Everyone should really grow up in the arts for a couple of years. Absolutely. All, all this stuff yeah. is like, I don't even like saying race because it's, this sounds really cheesy, but it's the human race as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. There are That's different cultures, perhaps. Yeah. Sorry. That's what we promote here. The huge, just yeah. equality. And yeah. <laughs> so. I just don't get it. I, maybe it's cause yeah. I grew up in, in, in entertainment. I don't know. I wonder about that myself. I think that, you know, I think eventually we'll get closer to an ideal, yeah. uh, but it's, it's going to be a minute. And uh, it does pain me. It pains me. And I, and I engage in a lot of ed conversations for my, my friends of other uh, backgrounds to educate me. Cause I really, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to make mistakes, whether it's subconscious or, well, it would just, cause I, it's just not in me to, to feel that way, but right. you know, I'm, you know, well, that's uh, it. That that's super important. I think that right now, because people are so on edge with a lot of stuff, it's they call it cancel culture. I don't want to call it cancel culture. I think there should be a more of a forgiveness culture where people mess up publicly and then you say, hey, you don't have to know all of the things all of the time and be always right your entire life every moment. You need to actually learn. So there are some times where people – yeah. I agree. I agree. Now, I will say this. The only time I stipulate – political correctness or uh, sensitivity is in stand-up comedy, assuming mm -hmm. uh, there is not a negative agenda. I think yes. that when you're going into stand-up comedy, you know that you're going to see people who are doing satire, sometimes satire mm -hmm. on a stereotype, but it's satire, these mm -hmm. subtext of saying, this is effing horrible, and I'm going to make a joke about it because I find it so yeah. offensive, or they're using an exaggeration because comedy is all about over exaggeration. And I think that artists should be allowed to, whether it's my cup of tea or not, explore that within context. It's intent yes. and context that people mm. need to acknowledge before canceling somebody. hundred percent, hundred percent. And Joan Rivers has a great clip online where she's talking about, um, she says something about a deaf person and she makes a joke, and then, but then someone in the audience says, that's not funny. And she's like, excuse me? 
And she's like, well, you know, you're making fun of deaf people. And she's like, I'm not making fun of deaf people. I'm actually, I'm a comedian. I'm trying to enlighten us and have us all feel better about this horrible condition. My mother was deaf. Right. Uh, yeah. And get out and, of my show. Explanation. And by the way, I told her, she's in the book too. I toured with her for many years. I'm working with she's Melissa great. in a couple of weeks. Oh, she wow. was saying, she's like, she was doing a, she was commentating. Yes. Uh, on, 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 and by the way, even if she wasn't, her experience as a hearing person around deaf people and making fun of her her uh, fake ignorance about it, that is the joke. Yes. It's, it's she's fake, making fun of herself. Fake, in that's context. right. It's fake ignorance. Yes. So that is, context is right. the most important and intent. Absolutely. hundred percent. I think you can joke about anything. It depends on how you're doing it. And also – and you know, punching down is just never really that funny. It's it's just doesn't work. Uh, you you want to? I always target the people in power, like Ellen and Cindy Lauper. So, <laughs> so I, I had a conversation the other day with two people of uh, Asian descent: Telly Leung, who's a big Broadway star, and Alan Maroka, who is on Sesame Street. As he's uh, took over Mr. Hooper's store, and we had a conversation about this very thing. And they said, "Listen, stereotypes start somewhere." There are uh, people, Asian Americans or, or, or parents or grandparents that speak with a particular accent or lilt or whatever. The problem is not that those that you're impersonating something that exists. The problem is that that's the only story that's being told in the scope of that yeah. culture. And that yeah. is the problem. Yes. Uh, people don't know the difference. And 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 same with the. You know, my trans friends, should all trans only trans play trans people or is the bigger issue that my trans friends aren't being seen for all the roles? Right. Uh, not just trans. Now, should somebody now if the role is not culturally specific and they keep casting white people? Yeah, I think that's yeah. a problem. Well, that's a, that's a joke that I always make when uh, I go to an audition and there's a room full of like a, a mixed crowd. And, you know, then I look around and I see the five guys who are brown with a fro. And I'm like, okay, so we're all vying for the one brown guy or the black guy in this commercial. <laughs> and meanwhile, you know, but nowadays it's kind of amazing and funny since since Black Lives started to matter last year. They start <laughs> – they will put two black people in a commercial now. And I'm like, ooh, looks like things are changing. But Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah you're right. I mean, look, I think that <clears throat> if – a writer like Spike Lee do the right thing. He yeah. is writing about a story that he lived. He knows he knows these people. Not not every right. ethnicity gets a chance to play that lead role because it's not pertinent. To, it's pertinent to the story to be culturally specific, yeah. uh, right? And the writer is entitled to create his art. The bigger problem is the studios are not put, as you well know, the studios are not putting the money into the large. A, a, a diverse kind of storytelling and diverse right. storytelling it's, that yeah. is not punching down and perpetuating a stereotype. Exactly. And that in turn would create more casting and more natural diversity without physically saying, we need an African-American person. We need someone of, you know what yeah. I mean? It's, I mean, look, we got a long way to go. We do. And, and just to add on that, it's, it's true. Like there need to be more voices because that only gives us more stories to tell. There are more perspectives. There are more voices. There are more points of view out there that 
we should be hearing from. Uh, it's been, yeah. Can I just say also that you know, yeah. the, you know, as you know, Hank Azaria has come out about his Apu character from The Simpsons. Again, yeah. the reason that was a problem, if the character is speaking about their culture, that should not be done by another cultured person. Yeah. Uh, if it's a generic character, uh, and it's or, or if it happens to be a person uh, of like a Sesame Street puppet, that is, uh, I think if the character's background has nothing to do with their culture, then yeah. that's a different story than someone perpetuating the character who didn't live that culture. Do you know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, that that's an interesting uh, perspective on it, for sure. Uh, Ron says, the best comedy always punches up, and I agree with Ron Pertee. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Michael, Paul, for this, uh, this amazing... I don't know how we ended on that. I, I <laughs> it was great. For anyone, but I think it's important to talk about. And by the way... I'm not bestowing any gospel, even though because of this, I'm just having the conversation as a participant. Well, I appreciate your perspective and your experience and your point of view. So this is why it's exciting to talk to you. Yeah, um, and I'm happy to be reeducated. I honestly am. Yeah. <laughs> well, this, you know, life is a constant education. So thank you so much again for, for doing this. I hope to have you back at some point. Anytime you want to come on the show, we're here five days a week, Monday through Friday, 5 PM Pacific standard time. The name of the Michael's book is breaking out of show business. What I discovered by not being discovered. I'm going to put that in the text channel on discord for show guests. Michael, you're uh, an entertainer, extraordinaire, multi-talented comedian, uh, and actor and puppeteer. Ballet and... park attendant. Yeah. And sewer. <laughs> Next time we're going to talk about some of the uh, the other jobs you've had. Actually, right before you go, oh. what's the, what's the weirdest job you've ever had? <laughs> oh, uh, I when I was a kid, I worked for a temp agency, and I they call you at five in the morning. They're like, "Do you want to drive a forklift?" I'm like, "Do you remember who you're calling?" Uh, but I would get calls <laughs> for like. They're like, do you want to do a switchboard at an office? And, you know, because I'm all dramatic, I'm thinking it's like the old Wild West pluggy things, you know, but yeah. it's not a big computer and I'm disconnecting people left and right. Um, so there was that. Um, they had me work at a like a, a Trekkie convention where I was in the, the money booth and I am terrible at math. And th the till was so off, they lost the contract. Um, I worked in a podiatrist's <laughs> office, which was disgusting. He always had like the doctor had foot dust all over him. And oh, good I had to, pre I had to pre pretend to be a medical assistant with a little white coat. And they're like, <laughs> and the people would come in and they're like, oh, do you want me to take off my shoe? I'm like, well, I don't know what's wrong with you. I, what can I tell you? <laughs> you so, are at the podiatrist's office. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> that's kind of amazing. Uh, and that is, let that be also a lesson that, uh, if you are in this hustle, you have worked every type of job there possibly is. I've, I've been there myself and I'm so happy that I'm happy to say that in the 10 years that I've been in Los Angeles, it's been 10 years now, almost, uh, I've not done anything but photography, music, or acting since hey. I've been here. So you just gotta just keep the hustle going and, uh, and you're an inspiration, Michael. Thank you for being here. Um. And <laughs> and I will see you. I'll see you soon. Great. It Thanks, was so everybody. Appreciate it. Have a good one.